Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Before I jump into the sermon, uh, I do want to just share one other uh, point. Uh, many of you know that uh, back in August we had the Revival Weekend. John and I was here. A powerful ministry. A lot of people were touched powerfully. One of them being Jen Wickey, and uh, unfortunately, while she was uh, on the floor uh, during some prayer, she was rolling back and forth rather vigorously and hit her head. Most of you, if you're part of this church, know this. Uh, it caused a severe concussion, and um, she actually is still, uh, she was able to come this morning for the first time since that service, but a lot of people are like, oh my goodness, how could that happen in church? How could someone get, you know, did God do that to her? And and the, the short answer is no, it was an accident. Um, it's like, that's why we have catchers when we pray for people in services like that, because, you know, it's not like God just lets people float down on the, you know, the wings of angels. Gravity. You know, there is such thing as gravity. And, and I saw what happened. She hit her head on a stack of a metal, stack of metal chairs. And it was a very, very, now I would know it's a, she should have been rushed to the hospital. Because if you get treatment within that first 30 to 45, 30 minutes to an hour, it can uh, alleviate a lot of the problems. But in response to that, <clears throat> two things. One, uh, uh, Anthony's parents uh, wrote a letter thanking the church. I just want to read this because it's addressed to the whole church. Um, so since the very beginning of this situation with Jennifer, we have seen God's hand and what is really meant to, by true healing. The body of believers at New Day has been so caring of Jennifer as well as Anthony and the children. You have been his, Christ's, hands and feet. You have shown his heart of love. God is our healer, deliverer, protector, provider, and he will always be. But he's doing it through his body. We are learning through this experience to trust him more in our families' lives. Don't be discouraged that it's been a slow, uh, such a slow process of healing. We've actually learned more about healing in God's heart because it's been a slow process. Amen. Waiting on God's virtue, and it is a pleasure. Uh, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, which means that there is first a broken heart, broken life, and broken body. Once more, we thank you for loving your loving kindness to our children and grandchildren. Your acts of love make the journey sweeter. Love, Mike and Brenda Wiki. So yeah, they're really grateful for, and I am very grateful that we're part of uh, such a, a loving church. <clears throat> You've been demonstrating what it means to be a church by caring for Jen during this time. It's not over again, as I said. And then in addition, because there's been so many questions, uh, we have a lot of brochures back here, short, brief uh, explanations. I wrote a brochure specifically addressing well, gosh, what happens if someone gets hurt in a church service or, or while being ministered to? There's actually a biblical basis for it, and this brochure will explain everything and answer all your questions. But before we uh, jump into the sermon, let's just pray for Jen, will Because uh, she's still recovering. Father, we do pray supernatural healing. That this injury would be uh, completely healed. There would be no uh, lingering effects. Uh, Father, particularly pray for her eyesight. Father, for her brain tissue that was damaged to be completely healed. Yes. Father, that she would be delivered from this affliction and any uh, uh, influence from the enemy trying to make it worse. 
uh, Lord, or whatever uh, other influences there may be. Jesus, you took our infirmities upon your body on the cross. And so because of what you accomplished on the cross, we declare complete healing in Jen Wickie's uh, body in Jesus' name. And thank you for it. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Well, it ties in perfectly because I am speaking about the church. And uh, today kind of going to be giving a, basically a theology of the church. <clears throat> and just to start it out, a few years ago, I went in to get my hair cut. And you know how sometimes uh, the hairdressers are talkative? I, I like the quiet ones, but <laughs> just get her done. Uh, but this one was asking questions and, you know, so what do you do? And I like to try to come up with creative answers to that. So I said, well, mostly I sit and talk and a couple of times a week I'll stand and talk. <laughs> and that usually causes that. <laughs> I'm like, what, 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 what do you mean? And then, you know, eventually I'll say, well, I'm a pastor. Uh, and this, this hairdresser took me by surprise because she was very interested in it. She said, oh, does that mean you sit in one of those boxes and listen to people come and tell you all their sins? <laughs> <laughs> to which I said, you probably grew up a Catholic, didn't you? <laughs> because Catholics right. do that, right? Um, and she said, no, actually, I have never been in the church in my entire life. Wow. So where did she get that picture of a church? TV. TV, some TV show, some movie, and there's a lot of people like that in our world today that have no grid as to what happens in a church, at church, what is church, what good is church, why to even have church, and unfortunately, a lot of Christians <laughs> have the same questions, because maybe they've never experienced a good church or interaction in a healthy church, or actually, I think there's a lot of uh, misinformation about church, because there's been a lack of good teaching about the church from those in my job as pastors and teachers. And so today is, is, is about laying a foundation of what uh, a, a good a biblical basis for the church is. You know, it was a real challenge for me to sum up in just a few sentences what a church is, because to me it's, it's not a building, of course, it's not even a, a Sunday service, it's, it's what happens to people's lives over the span of their, uh, the, the course of their uh, life in church, from kids growing up in church, or people getting saved and their lives transformed and then being knit together in a community, seeing those people grow in their giftings and being released, some of them going on becoming pastors and starting other churches, just the, 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 the level of life change that happens within the context of the relationships within a church is, is, is just mind-boggling, and I had to try to explain just a few things in just a few minutes. I thought, well, gosh, wouldn't it be great if there was a concise, brief description that everyone agreed to? You know, a lot of people disagree about church. Have you noticed that? You know? um, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if we had something that everyone agreed to? And guess what? I came across something that for almost uh, over 1,600 years in writing, people from every language just about and every type of uh, church uh, denomination actually agreed to. Things that, this, this statement, Catholics agree to it, and Baptists agree to it. Can you believe that? You know, Anglicans, uh, Lutherans, and Charismatics agree to this. Really? <laughs> um, and it's almost universally accepted uh, uh, 
Uh, it's simply the line in the Nicene Creed that we recite once a month concerning the church. Because right in that statement of faith, we actually state, along with our understanding, our beliefs about Jesus and about God the Father and the Holy Spirit, we actually believe something specific about the church. And the early church fathers thought it was important enough to put it in the defining statement, the creed that defines what, you know, we, we, we judge whether uh, someone is a heretic uh, and if something is a cult based on if they line up to what is in the Nicene Creed and have for nearly 2,000 years. So we believe in one holy, universal, apostolic church. Of course, if you're in certain traditions, it's one holy, Catholic, apostolic church. Catholic being the word universal, so that's what the word means. Uh, and it was at, written, it predates what we know as the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church was was nothing like it is today back in the 300s. Um, <clears throat> so the word means universal, and that's how uh, everyone agrees to it. Now, there's some differences to, as to how you interpret those, but these are agreed as the four marks, the four marks of the church. And we're just going to talk through uh, those four, spend a little more time on the first one, because I think it's uh, most important to have that um, and understand that correctly. So the first mark of the church is that there's one. There's one church. And what that means is that it's, there's a unity. It's talking about the unity of the church. Uh, uh, the Bible explains this in Ephesians chapter 4, that there is, listen to this, one body, that's referring to the church, one body and one spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Was there something emphasized in that passage? One. one. All right, he repeats it, I think, seven times. There's one. So this is a real emphasis on the unity in the church. The message translates this same verse, a little more contemporary wording. It says, you were called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together. Right? Stay together, that unity. Both outwardly and inwardly. And I like that part of it. Because outwardly means we actually have to gather together. The, the, the word we use, church, is actually in the Greek, ecclesia, or ecclesia, and that means a gathering of people. In the course of translations, the English actually used the German translation, kirk, which means to, uh, refers to a building. That's why there's some confusion. Uh, uh, but the original Greek, it made sense in the German translation, but the original Greek always speaks of a gathering of people, whether it be in a building or in a cave or in a courtyard, doesn't really matter. It's a gathering of people. And so we're to be gathered outwardly, but also, more importantly, inwardly. Stay together so that without strife, without contentions, without divisions. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who rules over all, working through all, and is present in all. And I love this last sentence. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. And so the nature of the church, God's vision of the church, Jesus' vision of the church is this incredible measure level of unity. Uh, and it's very, very important because 
our unity represents the character of God. Right? God is a triune God. We serve one God, but God is represented in the Father, in the Son, in the Holy Spirit. And so in this way, this one body joined under through one spirit, one Lord, one faith, it represents the unity of the Godhead. That's why it's so important that we be unified. Violating this unity violates the nature of of God that we are supposed to represent violates the nature of the spirit, the nature of our hope, the nature everything that was listed in that verse. And so that's why unity is so absolutely important in our understanding of church. And uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul explains it in a way that really everyone should be able to understand. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. We just ask, how many people here have a body? <laughs> Anybody here that doesn't have a body? We won't see their hands. We won't, well, we can't see their hands. There's some, no, there's some. <laughs> there's some over there. <laughs> <laughs> now, we all have a body, right? So he's using something everybody can understand, can relate to, because we have a body. So it is with the body of Christ. He's like, can we break it down simple enough? So that everyone can understand, yeah. So it is with the body of Christ. Um, and then he goes through, some are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. Like there's differences, but we have all been baptized into one body and one, by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. So this whole idea about how our bodies work together that's how the body of Christ works together, and it's extremely important that we understand this. Jumping down to verse 27, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is part of it. So all of us together comprises Christ's body, and as individuals, we are part of it. Now, the New King James translates that last verse, 27, says you collectively are the body of Christ and members individually. And so this is where membership in the church, what the meeting about tomorrow is uh, uh, going to be on. If you can't make it tomorrow, make an appointment with Mark because he can go through what membership means. And we're, we're, we're very informal in our membership, but we do have membership. And it's important because the Bible says it's important. And understanding how you as an individual are connected into the collective, the group, uh, is extremely important. Why? Because we're called to be one. We're called to live out unity as a representative representation of the unity of God. Church is plural. Period. It's a plural. It cannot be used as a singular. All right. It means a group of people. It means a, a, a congregation. So, group uh, church is always we, not me. All right. An individual is not a body. And a body needs each uh, uh, member to be part. Uh, uh, we need every part of our body, but as a member of the body, we understand that we're just a member. I like the comparison of the uh, NFL team. If I were to walk into a bar and, and say, <clears throat> you know, get some bars, hey guys, huh? I'm, a, I'm an NFL player. Now the first thing they'd probably say is, well, you don't look like one. <laughs> I know, I know, but I, I'm really still, I've, I've been in the NFL for... Oh, it's been almost 15 years now. <clears throat> what would they ask? What team? What team do you play with? Well, you know, that I just go to whatever team 
I think needs my skills. You know, so one week I might go to you know a Michigan uh, game, and next week I'll be a you know in, a, in, a, in another uh, team's uh, game. I really you know kind of just follow what I think is is needed. That's how I kind of I'm really you know part of the NFL, the whole league. <laughs> what might be another question? What position? What position? Right? Well, that's a good question because I I actually play all the positions. Wow. You know, I I prefer the quarterback. Because that's usually what I'm needed best in. But you know, I can just jump in and do every every one of the positions, and uh, you know, and I show up. I just play whatever position you know I think my skills would would need. One more question: Who's my coach? You know, that's the problem with the NFL. That's the problem. Those coaches, they think they they, they can tell you what to do. And see, I don't. Uh, if I play on a team. Forget the coach. I'm going to do what I think is best. Oh, this is so <laughs> <laughs> Pretty soon, everyone's going to know that I'm not part of the National Football League. I'm part of the National Fool League. Yeah. Right? <laughs> These guys are crazy. Well, in the same way, you can't be part of the church if you're not part of a church. You can't be part of uh, the NFL if you're not actually on a team with a coach that practices and works through stuff and gets better. Right, the same idea uh, with the church. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of the body does your part mean anything. So my finger, my finger is completely Cameron. Right? This is this is completely that finger is completely part of Cameron. Right? No part of that finger is part of anybody else. Right? Right. But Cameron isn't completely just the finger. Right. I can point things out very well. I can tickle. I can scratch an itch. What can that guy do? You don't need him. Right? So that's, that's silly, right? Yeah. <laughs> so even though my finger is completely mean, I'm not completely in that finger, all right? And if you cut off the finger, I will be disabled to some degree, but I can get out. Yeah. How about the finger? Oh, it's dead. It's dead. It will rot, okay? That's why you need to understand that you're a member, you're a part, and when you're a part, then you can contribute to the whole. Uh, the whole needs every part. So why the church? It represents the unity of one another and the unity with Christ. Uh, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. If you, some people, it's really popular in our day, it's, it's, it is to worship Jesus and think they don't need the church. Mm-hmm. All right? Well, I, can, I just worship Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need that. You know, it's just me and Jesus. I just worship Jesus. Well, worshiping Jesus without, a, without understanding his connection to the church is worshiping a disembodied head. Take a head, cut off a body. Is that what you worship? Ooh. No. That is not what we worship. All right? There's two equal and opposite errors. Jesus without the body and the body without the head. And so the emphasis on personal relationship with Jesus Christ is actually a, a reaction to an overemphasis on, uh, that happened centuries ago uh, that emphasized the body or, or the church as an institution 
and didn't have Jesus anymore as the head, and that's equally as bad. That's a, you know, a headless body. That's not good. All right, and so you need to have a live. You can't be saved by being a member of a church. All right, uh, but in the same way, if you're saved, you're connected to uh, to Jesus through that church, and that's how it's supposed to work. And so when we look at Jesus, when we fix our eyes upon Jesus, when we gaze into his wonderful eyes, we can look down and recognize that he's connected to a body. And that body is us, is the church. So the one nature of the church, the unity of the church, so important. The second mark of the church is that the church is holy. All right? Now this verse that I'm going to uh, describe is the basis for the exhortation that Anthony wrote. But he forgot to put in the notation of this verse, <laughs> which would have helped. Um, but this verse is so often used uh, to talk about marriage um, that we actually miss the actual intent of the verse, which is to teach us about Christ and the church. And it's a comparison. It actually compares uh, the relationship between Christ and the church to marriage. Again, another universally understood concept of marriage to, so that we can understand this mysterious union. And, uh, and that, that uh, the church is holy because we're connected to Christ. Huh? What I've done is I've taken this verse and just deleted the phrases that refer to marriage <laughs> so we actually get the uh, instruction of it um, as it applies to Christ and the church. So you can read the whole thing just by turning into your Bible to Ephesians 5, 23 through 27. It says, Christ is the head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. Therefore, the church is subject to Christ in everything. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And so here we have the understanding, the, the description of Jesus' purpose. What Jesus is doing is that he is sanctifying the church. Now, Jesus is sanctifying. Sanctify means to make holy, to make pure, to consecrate. That means there is something that needs to be sanctified. All right? The church isn't perfect. If you find a perfect church, don't join it. Because you'll ruin it. Because right? we're not perfect, right? The point is, there is no perfect church. All right? We're in the process of being sanctified. Sanctified by who? Sanctified by Jesus Christ. Jesus loved the church so much that he's willing to, to work on the church to make her holy. And this is a big part of it. That uh, being just the reason it's compared to marriage is uh, if you're married, you'll understand this because if I wasn't married, there's a whole bunch of issues in my life that I probably would never get around to dealing with, right? But my wife is really good at presenting situations that cause some issues to come to the forefront that I might have been able to keep hidden, but I have to deal with it. Because she's there every day. <laughs> right? But that's a good thing. God designed marriage to get us to deal with the deeper stuff in our hearts. 
because we can't hide from someone we live with every day. And that's, a, that's what this verse is talking about. God designed the church to enable us to live in community so that we go deeper in intimacy so that issues of sanctification that wouldn't be dealt with if you're living independently out in the woods just worshiping Jesus have to be dealt with because you're sitting next to someone that's not perfect. And they're sitting next to someone who's not perfect. You get it? Okay. So it's a process of sanctification. And so Jesus is making the church adorable. Jesus is making the church honorable. But I also think it's just to venerate. Jesus actually adores his church. Yes. And he honors his church. Uh, and so it is a process. That we're doing, but it, in, in Jesus' eyes, in God's eyes, it's a finished process. Even though experientially, subjectively, we're still in the process right, of right, it. Right. All right? That's <laughs> uh, so uh, why is church important? It's because it's God's, one of God's primary ways to bring about um, sanctification. And it enables us then to display that character of God. The unity of the church displays the character of the unity of God. And as the church walks in uh, sanctity and holiness, we can display the character of God as a holy God. That Jesus is holy. Um, and we need to, because Jesus is sanctifying his church, we need to be part of that. Yes, there's a part of sanctification that happens individually, but you can only get to the deeper levels when you're in community. Uh, and I think that because Jesus adores and Jesus loves and Jesus treats the church with honor and dignity, we should treat the church the same way. Because Jesus, the church is Jesus' bride. Now let's say you have a high school buddy or a college buddy that you haven't seen in 10 or 20 years and you get an invitation to their, his wedding. So you'll go, hey, I'm going to go see you know, Don's wedding. I haven't seen Don in years. I wonder who he, I wonder who he, he, I wonder who he married. So you show up <clears throat> and there he is after the sermon. Don, great. You know, you just get there late or whatever. Don, wow, you got married. Congratulations. So where, where's your bride? And he turns, oh, it's right here. And, 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 and she turns around and you look, and if I were to look at her and go, come on, Don, you gotta be kidding. What were you thinking, dude? Man, you should have talked to me up there. Did you see her face? What would Don do? Deck you, right? Bam! That's the only honorable thing to do, right? I'm just concerned that some people are going to show up at the marriage feast of the Lamb and get decked by Jesus. Because they've been talking down on Jesus' bride and he's sweet on his bride. They may, he may still get you into heaven. But listen, he loves his bride. And so insulting, criticizing, I'm not saying that you don't talk about problems in an appropriate way. We have lots of problems. God's in the process of sanctifying the church. There's a lot of sanctification needs to happen. We're not done yet. But we do it in a way that's honorable and respectful so good. and considerate that we're talking about. And the church, and, and some people say, well, that, that refers to the, the first century church. I'm saying, have you read the history? The first century church was filled with problems just like we have problems now. 
All kinds of misconduct, heresies, divisions, you know? Some ideal church. No, it's talking about everyone that comes together in Jesus' name. And God's going to use that crazy thing called the church to communicate the message of the gospel, which is the hope of the world. The second reason it's important is not only is it God's means of sanctification, but we are Christ in the world. Jesus is in heaven, but we're his body on earth today. And so that means that we are the incarnation to many people. And Jesus represents himself through us as the church. Uh, but we can't do that alone. I can only represent a little, not even a finger's worth of Jesus. I can only represent maybe a couple of cells. All right? Jesus is way too big for any one individual to represent fully. And that's why we need a community of people representing the character of God. When we do this together, then we fulfill this calling to be Christ in the world today. Third mark of the church is universal. All right? <clears throat> it says that um, uh, commissioning of the apostles, when Jesus had already risen from the dead, he was about to ascend into heaven. He said, I have been given authority in heaven, all authority in heaven and earth, Therefore, go and make disciples of what? All nations. All nations. Nations mean all people groups, all ethnic groups, all diff every different language group in the world. And so <clears throat> the universal nature of the church is meant that it is to span the entire globe and actually throughout hundreds, thousands of years, all the people that live everywhere. Uh, a couple other verses that talk about the same idea. Galatians chapter 3, 28, uh, speaking about the church, speaking about the kingdom of God, says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, uh, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is such a radical verse, because in this, the main ethnic division in the day that this was written you know, uh, was the difference between Jewish people and Greek or Gentiles, which referred to every other race. <laughs> Simplify it. You know, right now we have racial problems in our country. Have you noticed? Yeah. Right? I was just in, in England. They have rape in Paris, where there's been terrorist attack recently. You know, there's racial division and racial strife uh, there. We have it here. Uh, but the Word of God says that. The division between racial uh, uh, races is, 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 is dealt with in the church. There is neither slave nor free. So that's talking about uh, another uh, source of division, and that's economic division. And so the, 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 the strife and the contention, the division that comes through economic inequality is somehow overcome in the kingdom of God. And then he lands this, this third one. He says, there's neither male nor female. Listen, for a first century Jewish rabbi to say this, it was just, just radical. The Bible radically defends the, uh, 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 the place of uh, women in society. It's, it's a source through which so many societies have been transformed. It, because it says, listen, in the kingdom, these differences, now it's not, doesn't say there's not male or female, it doesn't say that there's not Jew or Greek, it doesn't say that there's not poor or, 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 or slave or free, it says that the, the divisions that are uh, created by those differences 
are overcome through the unity that we have in Christ Jesus. Alright? So whatever divisions exist, racial, economic, gender divisions, they can be overcome through this unity of being in Christ, being part of the body of Jesus Christ. And I've experienced this. I've gone to different countries and had uh, uh, you know, immediate uh, unity with people that, you know, uh, that grew up in such a different setting simply because we are one in Christ. We share faith. I love this uh, next verse topic says Christ himself has brought peace he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us again this verse is talking primarily about the difference between Jew and Gentile but because that represented the major racial conflict of that day we can then apply it to all racial conflicts he made peace Jesus made peace by creating in himself one new people in other words he made a new race okay in the sense Together as one body, the church, Christ reconciled both or all groups to God by means of his death on the cross. Wow. So the death on the cross reconciled humanity to God. But listen to this next line. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. Wow. So not only was the, 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 were we reconciled to God, but through the death of Jesus on the cross, God intends to reconcile all humanity. All humanity. I think that's exciting. No government can do that. Right? No educational system can do that. It hasn't happened yet. It means to overcome every racial, economic, gender, language, national barrier, inequality, and injustice. And you might say, hey, but that's not working. It's not working. And I would say, well... He's not done. Yeah. He's not done. Because we get a peek into heaven. We get a peek into what, how it turns out. Just a little snapshot. And we see, when John sees the vision in Revelation, he sees that they sing a new song, singing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you are slain, speaking of Jesus, and you have redeemed us, us, to God, by your blood out of every tribe, every tongue, and every people and nation. And so we see in the end that through the church, through the Christ, what Christ accomplished on the cross, we will live for eternity in a united humanity without division and strife. That's glorious, Yay. folks. That is glorious. And I'm looking forward to the day when there isn't any uh, barriers because of the unity and the universal uh, aspect of the nature of the church through Christ. Finally, uh, apostolic. <clears throat> we're apostolic in origin. Our foundation, our beginning was apostolic. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Uh, he was one of the apostles. Uh, and they continued uh, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In other words, the, the early apostles would teach the church. They were uh, teaching what they had learned from Jesus. And so that formed the foundation. <clears throat> but then there's this interesting verse in Ephesians where Paul writes, You are, speaking of the church, the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus, himself, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And I've always understood that verse as referring to the original 12 apostles. Okay? 
uh, which it, it was. Uh, but there's a little difference here. In order to interpret this correctly, you have to understand the intent of the author and its original historical context. Okay? So when this was written, guess what? Those apostles were still alive. Yeah. Right? Most, if not all of them, were still alive. Secondly, Paul had some disagreements with these apostles. You can read about that in the book of Acts. Him and Peter disagreed pretty strongly. Nevertheless, he writes that the apostles and the prophets are the foundations of the church, Christ himself being the cornerstone. All right? And so I think one uh, commentator, JFP commentator, says the foundation of the apostles is referring to their ministry and living, living example, because they were living when Paul wrote this. And so I'd like you to think of this as um, another verse that says, it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. So talking about the church. That the origin and the foundation is not merely what happened 2,000 years ago with those guys, but that it is, it is to be considered foundational. Does that make sense? That the, the apostolic ministry in the church and the prophetic ministry in the church is foundational. And without it, you will not have a solid structure, okay? It's, it's, it's to be living examples. We need the apostolic. Yes, we need the 12, the original writings of, of the New Testament cannot be replaced, cannot be added to. But we need an ongoing, living, yes. apostolic uh, 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 function and prophetic function in our churches. All right, uh, it's uh, because, and the reason for that is because our purpose is apostolic. Apostolic means to yeah. go forth, yeah, yeah. right? <clears throat> it means to be an ambassador. And uh, when Jesus told the apostles to go into all the world and preach to the disciples, he was commissioning them to commission us, yeah. right? And each generation receives that same apostolic commissioning that, that uh, uh, we get you know, our origin determines our purpose. And so we are given an apostolic commission. And so being apostolic is foundational to the church, not only in its original teaching, but in its active purpose in, in communicating the gospel worldwide. And finally, we are to have an apostolic structure. And that means that there is delegated responsibility and authority. There are people that have the calling to be apostles that are unique and prophets and pastors and evangelists. It says this many places, 1 Corinthians 12, you're the body of Christ, members individually. Already talked about that. Following up on that, it says God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healing. So it goes through and lists a number of different ministries that are uh, appointed, foundational in the church. And really, the church needs to be functioning in all of these. It's not like one is used and we never see them again. It's a ministry that is ongoing and should be integrated into the structure of the church. Another place, Ephesians chapter 4, he gave uh, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, saints being the general congregation, 
But there's certain people that are given certain responsibilities to teach or to lead apostolically or to be prophetic. And there's different levels. That's a whole separate teaching to delve into it. All I'm saying today is this is foundational to what the church is and why we need to be a part of it. Uh, And that we are to actually live in a submitted relationship with those that God has appointed in apostolic uh, leadership over us because <clears throat> without apostolic authority the church actually ceases to be the church and so why why is it so important to be part of the church because it's through the church that we gain access to the apostolic um, uh, structure it's through the church that we gain access to the apostolic purpose and the apostolic origin it's through the church <clears throat> that we gain uh, an understanding of what it means to to accomplish the universal nature of the commission of God. It's through the church that this is going to happen, that people that are diverse are, are, are learn to live together in, 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 yeah. in unity, right? Uh, it's through that universal nature uh, that we experience the holiness of God, that we become sanctified individually and corporately, that we experience Jesus' work of, of taking broken. I mean, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Jesus, what were you thinking? God, what were you thinking? You threw together such a, such a, uh, you know, a, a, a ramshackle group of dysfunctional people and, and, and told us to win the world. And, it, and he's going to say, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's through the foolish that God brings to nothing the wisdom of this world, right? There's a Bible verse that says that. God's going to demonstrate his manifold wisdom to principalities and powers, it says in Ephesians, through the church. I understand God's manifold wisdom. And I understand communicating that to powers and principalities in the world. I'm like, that in-between part, that he's going to do that through the church, boggles my mind. But that's part of what it means. Why? Because we access the holiness of God through connection with the body, and finally the unity that we get uh, that represents the character of God. All of that comes through uh, being part of a local church. Um, So, you know, all of us have experienced difficulties in church, but that is part of being, uh, that is part of the process. That is part of the sanctifying process, part of the universal aspect. It's part of every part of it. That we learn how to live together in unity in order to represent to our community the God that brings together a, a humanity that's so broken and diverse. Yeah. Let's stand and close in the word of prayer. <clears throat> so, everybody comes into church with a different understanding of what it, why it exists, what its purpose is. And then we have throw into that a bag of experiences, both good and bad. I just would encourage you in my prayer for you today is that you can look past all of that and see that Jesus has a purpose and a vision, that he has a passion and a love for his bride, and that he invites you to be part of the bride so that you can spend eternity with a unified humanity in relationship with Him and the Father forever and ever and ever.
order for you to do that, you have to accept Jesus as your Lord. You have to yield your life and submit to him as Lord and Savior. But then he joins your hand with the hands of other people and says, come, let's do this together. Yeah. And so wherever you are in that, that, that stage between unbelief, belief, and being joined to a church, I just pray that you would hear the, the, the words of the Father, the leading of Jesus Christ, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, so that we can be the church, both as a local congregation and then universally as we connect to churches all over the world. Father, heal our brokenness. Father, we repent of being critical of your bride. Yeah. And we say, you know, we don't want any part of that. Lord, we, we want to be joined in a healthy way, in a reverent way, because we love you. Jesus, help us love your people, because we're one of your people. Father, I pray a blessing on each and every person here in Jesus' name, that we would be able to grow in intimacy with one another and with you through this mysterious thing called the church. In Jesus' name, amen.